when you set an ambitious goal and then you make every effort to reach them, that's when people move from, I don't think you can do this to she did it. Hi, I'm Nils Vigna, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Nicole Baxby. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure, Nicole. Looking forward to digging into all things leadership with you. But first, would you share with me and this audience the role that you're in and the company that you work for? So I am the Global Vice President of Customer Success at FeatureSpace. And tell us a little bit about what FeatureSpace does. So we provide fraud and financial crime prevention solutions to banks, financial institutions, some gaming companies, and some merchants. Yeah, just making sure that they can protect themselves and their end customers to make it a safer way for their customers to transact. Okay, interesting. Okay, so financial crimes, what exactly constitutes a financial crime? That is a very interesting question because it really is a broad term. So if you think about, you know, any time that maybe you've had your someone's used your card, even though it maybe have been in your wallet, it can be anything from scams. So people calling you and pretending to be, um, I don't know if you've ever had a call, but I certainly have probably once a week where someone says, Hey, this is Visa MasterCard Discover Amex. Yes. You're, like, yes. you're all of those companies? Interesting. Might be a scam. And even, you know, things like where, um, you know, there's a lot of the proceeds of financial crime. So all of the, the criminals and fraudsters that are perpetuating that, they're using that money to actually commit more crimes. And so then things like, human trafficking, all of these things can be detected by stopping the source of money. And so our company is dedicated to helping prevent the money from getting transferred to criminals. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. So are you before the event occurs and trying to prevent it from ever That's right. happening in the first place or after it occurs and trying to find the source of the, the crime or anything? It's just more on the before side. On the board side, so trying to, and so what we do is our technology enables our customers, you know, banks and financial institutions, enables them to look at financial transactions in real time, assess whether or not it's really Nils, or is it really Nicole, or is it someone pretending to be, and it's actually not a genuine transaction. So we, we do real-time profiling to determine genuine transactions from fraud. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. And I can't quite imagine the amount of data in, that you are processing and to do that real time. And for some of the largest banks in the world, I imagine that's incredible. Yeah. We partner with them and they purchase our technology to do that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. 
Cool. All right. So fascinating what you and the Future Space team are doing. Now let's talk about you and let's go back in time a little bit. And we'd love for you to share with me in this audience a little bit about how you got into your very first leadership position. It was really a case of asking. So I worked before Future Space. I worked for a company called Tesis, which has um, since been acquired by Global Payments. They were looking for people to go and lead some of the, the teams in the UK. They had opened up a subsidiary office in Ortiz's International based in the UK. And I was, I believe, 22 or 23 years old and was not qualified for the role they were hiring for, right, at all. But they, they were very kind and they were like, gave me an interview, which was generous. And they did not hire me for that role, rightfully so. But what they did do is um, say, you know what, we've got a spot for you. We have another role that we think you would be good for. And so I packed my bags and moved to the UK. Hang on one sec. I get, we got to unpack <laughs> a little bit of that because there was a lot that went on there. This was 22, 23. And there's this opening to go be part of, you know, opening the London and UK, you know, presence of this company. And you just threw your hand up and said, yeah, like I put me in, even though you acknowledge that you were not qualified for this. Tell us a little bit about the thought process that went behind that and how you felt confident enough to raise your hand and say, yeah, put me in. I'll, I'll go through this. So, you know, the, the confidence of a 22, 23 year old, right? Oh, my gosh. I wish you can bottle that confidence. But it was sheer. Honestly, my thought process was more, I want to move to the UK. I am unencumbered and they're paying me to move, do it. So that was honestly my thought process was, this sounds great. This sounds interesting. And I want to throw your hat in the ring. What did I have to lose? Nothing. There was very little thought put into it, which was, you know, it was more around, that sounds interesting. I want to move in, um, you know, I want to move my career forward. I want to experience another way of life and another culture. And I want to work in another country and get that international experience, which has become so valuable. So yeah, it was a jump, just wow. jump. So did, did you see the job description for that particular role before you raised your hand? There was no role. There was no oh, job description. It was description. just who wants to go and do this. Well, um, there, there was a job description for the role they were hiring for, which was not the role that they hired me for. Right, 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 right. But the one that you that they were hiring for, did you look at that job description and see Very like little. all these criteria? Okay, so no. just put it off the side. <laughs> I probably would have swept the floor um, at that point. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten more strategic, right? You know, I think for me, it was about, I just want to go in and get that experience. I want to do something new, be a part of them and starting a new company, essentially. And so... From there, it was, but that trajectory continued. Every time I saw it, like that, that looks interesting. I just raised my hand. And so when they, they had this team called client consultants and it was essentially a consulting part of the company that would go and when they were onboarding new large financial institutions, which is a big 12 to 24 month project, they would have some consultants that would go and live on site with these banks. So again, I get to go live in Luxembourg. Yes. Cool. <laughs> sounds pretty so, good. It sounds great. So um, I did that for a while, lived out of a suitcase, you know, for two years and, and got to just work with some of the best financial brands in Europe. Really cool opportunity. I got to see how banks make buying decisions, how projects get funded, how products get funded, how they build products and thought this is the best. But 
there's probably a better way of selling these consultants. There's probably a, a way that they could do this more proactively. So what I did is I just presented a business case to my management, to my leadership and said, I think that you could probably do it differently and maybe get a better return for the company with this. And up to this point, had anybody ever brought this up? Like, maybe we should look at selling these services. Maybe we should do this differently. Nicole, what do you think? Was there any kind of discussion there before you you came up with this business case? I'm sure that the team in the US had probably done it a little differently, but no one was doing it in the UK. And so it was very much a yeah, rarely does anyone ever you know, ask for your opinion. You have to kind of just assert yourself. And so that's certainly what I did. If my old manager, who I'm still um, you know, just a big fan of, ever listened to this, he'd be like, I did not ask. She <laughs> <laughs> no. just talks. So yeah, I mean, I, I presented it and they said, yeah, you know what? And I said, and I, obviously I want to lead this, right? You know, pick me to lead yeah, it too. Uh, obviously I got the idea. I have the built the case and now I want to lead it too. All right, cool. So what was the response when you presented this business case? So my leader, my direct leader was very supportive and the vice president of the division was supportive. There were some executives who were far more skilled and proactive selling, who had more experience, who are like, she is not experienced. She, she may have the idea, but we should pick someone who does have experience to lead. And so we managed to convince them. And, and he said, okay, right. This executive, this kind of detractor of the idea said, I think it's a good idea. I want to mentor her. I want to make sure. Well, and I don't think he was, it was very intentional, but he said, I wanted her to get the training she needs. And that was one of the best things that could have happened. So then I went and got all of this external training on, on how to strategically sell, how to negotiate contracts, which was a game changer in my career. Previously had no experience doing that. And, um, you know, he's since retired. He still checks in on me. He became a mentor for me. You know, he became someone. He was initially a detractor and was like, right. no, uh-uh, like Nicole, like great idea, Nicole, but we'll let the professionals handle this now. And then he swing, come full circle. And now he's still, you know, very close with you and ultimately became an enormous supporter of you through that transition. What do you think was at the core of that turnaround? You know, was that more on his side? Was it more on your side? Drive, determination? Like, how did you shape and, and shift that perspective from being detractor to being a huge promoter? So, and I think this is true in all cases. When you bring in revenue and you show you can do it, numbers don't lie. It is a you know universal language. So his attitude of she is not going to be capable of doing this. What I knew I needed to do is I had presented a business case is hit those numbers. So in year one, and 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 also no one thought it was possible. So those numbers were ambitious. And so I think when you set an ambitious goal. And then you make every effort to reach them. That's when people move from, I don't think you can do this to she did it. And I'm now, now I'm a thousand percent behind. That's amazing. That's awesome. And did you, did you meet or, or exceed that number in the first year, the revenue target? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. wow. That's amazing. So we went from, you know, raising your hand to just, I want to interview for this role that I know I'm not qualified 
to that creating the opportunity that, hey, there's another role that we want you to take over here in the UK, which got you over into Europe, to then working for a different group and then spotting a problem and identifying an opportunity to bring in new revenue to going through a whole bunch of training to learn a whole new part of you know your skill set in order to strategically sell to very large financial institutions and completely turn around a detractor to a promoter by delivering the one thing is the universal language everybody wants, which is more money in a business. That's right. Is that about sum it up? That sums it up. It sounds far more impressive than it felt at the time um, <laughs> when you when you package it up in a really short span. But yeah. I, yeah, because we're talking about what, like five or 10 years here-ish? Yeah, we're certainly talking, yeah, seven seven years of a, of a journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's, that's, you know, what I love about hearing these stories is that, like, to me, and just understanding how you navigated those things is inspiring, number one, for me, because I think it's just a phenomenal story. And for the audience, too, to hear that, you know, this started with the simple raising of the hand. We started with being volunteering yourself to be in a, put in a position where you know you do not qualify for a role. That's right. And that's okay. And you did it anyways. You know, and that's something that is, I, at the time, I didn't realize is rare for women to, you know, I think, you know, and I see this now with the women I mentor, they'll, they'll say, oh, I, I don't know if I want to apply for that job. You know, there's this one thing at the bottom, they said, and I don't qualify. And I think women need to typically think they need to meet about 80% before they'll raise their hand and qualify. Whereas men are like, oh, 10%, I got it. I got this job. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's, it's really about trying to go, you know what, um, those jobs descriptions are, it's your dream job. It's your dream checklist of a candidate. You know you're not going to get it, but you're hoping you will. And that's why, I mean, now that I write job descriptions, I know this is best case scenario, but no one's ever going to meet all of them. I think that's a really powerful point of view, especially for women, is to realize that the job description was not written in absolute terms. It was written not as, at all. Is written as the the if the clouds parted and the light shined down from above, and this is the magical unicorn you get, right? And and that's fascinating. And I don't think many people look at job descriptions that way. And so what advice do you share with the women that you mentor when they're coming up against a situation like that? We're like, well, I got most of this, but you know, there's this one thing I really don't do. And I, I'm not really comfortable putting myself in that position. What advice do you share with them? My best advice is stop negotiating against yourself. Ooh, good one. Right? Yeah. So stop, stop, you know, give yourself a pep talk and go, okay, yeah. Now, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't done that. I could do that. I can learn to do that. But also, here's what I'm really good at. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. Here's why you should hire me and pay me even more. Don't negotiate yourself down. And then also, one thing that I didn't know until much later in life is um, you can do benchmarking for yourself. So I reach out to my network of, of women in the industry who, who span all over the industry, all over the world. And I say, Hey, how much do you get paid for this job? Mm-hmm. Because yep. guess what? I'm very happy to tell them how much I get paid and how much they should ask for at their their company. And no one told us we could do that until <laughs> no one tells you you can benchmark yourself. And so now I ask someone, hey, someone offered me this role. How much should I get expect or how much equity should I ask for in a company? I don't know the answer until I ask other people. Wow, that's powerful. And salary and comp is some, one of those, you know, somewhat taboo topics, even amongst friends and colleagues and mentors, mentees, because I don't know, for whatever reason, it's just like 
we associate so much with the money that you get paid. Like, and it's, if it's, if it's lower compared to somebody else and you find out you might feel bad if it's higher then you might feel bad too. I don't know. Right. But I love how you just make it just plain and simple, just benchmark against yourself, get the data so you can at least make an informed decision next time. Especially if you're empowering them to ask for more. So like, basically I'm on your team. I want to help you get more money. And therefore, you know, for me, it's about, it's not about, feeling shame or anything. I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm on team, whoever I'm talking to or mentoring. So, um, or, or asking to mentor me on a particular topic, you know, I mean, I think there, there's probably a mindset of, you know, of shame tied into money or something like that. And it's just, it's just not helping anybody. No, I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. Interestingly enough, I've done some work with a money coach because I had a set of beliefs about money that were limiting me and where I was in my life and what I was doing. And this was in the last couple of years. And it was absolutely fascinating what I discovered, all the stuff, the beliefs that came from long, long ago, upbringing, you know, family environments, culture, all of that played into how I view and think about and deal with money. And it is so fascinating that all that was just under the surface for pretty much my entire life until I got to a point where I had a situation where it was like definitely not what I wanted to do. And I realized I needed help and I asked for help and I hired a money coach. Literally, the term was money coach was what her title was. And I was like, like this financial is- therapy. It is. It totally is. Right. I am so interested in this. I, I am going to get your the details later. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to share the contact info. Yeah. It was absolutely a wonderful experience. If anybody else is interested as well, happy to just reach out to me directly, and I'm happy to put you in touch. But the exercises, one, I'm a leadership coach, so I know what coaching is like. However, there's a lot of different ways that coaching can be applied in life, in leadership, in money, in relationships, in, you know, children, the whole nine yards, right? So this narrow niche going down on the money side was just so revealing. And every session I had with this money coach, I was, my mind was blown every time. And I was like, okay, (laughs) yep. Now I see why all the behaviors I did stack up and look exactly like that. And it gave me the tools to be able to make different choices, which was was most important for me at that time. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So shifting gears a little bit, we're in the midst of the great resignation, right? Still going on. And employee retention is at the top of everybody's list. And would love to hear your thoughts on how to retain not only your best talent, but just your talent, period. Because quite frankly, for a large percentage of the professional population, there is a great opportunity somewhere else going on right now. The demand is incredibly high, especially for in certain fields. Um, and what are you, Nicole, doing with your team? And how do you think about retaining these incredible employees? What a tough topic, right? I mean, 
you know, our company has been, you know, like not been impervious to the great reshuffle or, you know, the resignation. And, and the thing is, is that feature space really prides itself on having just absolute top talent. I mean, I've had such imposter syndrome coming in where, you know, a huge portion of our team have come from Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and, you know, all these amazing you know, they have amazing academic and professional backgrounds. And so, um, you know, my team for me is, is about the way I structure leadership. One, I've learned a lot about just as much about what not to do as a leader as what to do, you know? And so I really do try to think about what is the leadership style I wish I had had. I also, and you probably even know this just from having the, the few chats you've had with me is I just have no way of being not authentic. It's just kind of in my DNA. I believe in authentic leadership. I believe in leading with vulnerability. Um, you know, I believe in saying, this is hard, let's work through it together. You know, and I also know that I'm ambitious. I have a career journey that I'm on. They are too. And so for me, it's about understanding what do they need from this role? What do they need from me as a leader? What are they trying to learn and grow in their career? How do I invest in that? How do I personally invest in that? Get them the training that, you know, that I've been afforded, get them the opportunities that I've been afforded and be the leader that they're excited to work for, you know, because if they see in me what that someone who is going to, you know, they'll be able to learn from that they're going to, that's going to make sure that like, if my team is successful, if the individuals have a success they are going to get to show that success to success to the senior leadership team. I don't want to be like the layer that then goes, oh, I did that. But also if my team fails, if the individual fails, I do own that. That's my failure. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. Those are such incredible key points. And I love how you said, you know, you, you can't not be authentic and from our conversations, I'm with you 100. percent That's why I love, uh, you know, having this chat. I know exactly what I'm going to get when when we talk, and I imagine that your team knows exactly what they're going to get too. There's no pretentiousness. There's no positioning or posturing or whatever it is. It's just this is Nicole. Like this is how, how I run, and that that I think is such a critical piece. And you know, wherever people are in their leadership journey, I think can get missed sometimes because we start looking outside and say, well, what is the expected thing for someone in this role? Whether it's manager, director, VP, C-level, whatever, what is the expected behavior of this? And that can cause a little bit of conflict because you're comparing yourself to somebody else that's out there versus being true and authentic to who you are, which is frankly how you got to where you are today. Is that fair? Yeah. No, I, I think that's a great summary. So on the, you know, the career journey piece, and you're on a career journey, so are your team members. And you mentioned, you know, understanding what their career journey is and what they want. And I'm curious for your advice on how to discern that and extract that from individuals, whether, you know, some people are going to be very upfront and very open and have very clear paths they want to go down. Others, probably not so much, maybe a little bit more reserved, not 100% 100% as sure, maybe a little bit less confident, perhaps dealing with some imposter syndrome themselves. What advice would you have for other leaders for how to get to know what is beneath that individual to ultimately help support them grow and develop as you see you know, what potential they have? That's, that's such a good question. It, and it's different even cultures because my team are you know, Singapore, um, UK, and, and the US. And 
so culturally the British are a lot less um, willing to just like be like, oh, here's all, here's all of the information. It is really about, you know, kind of me saying something, you know, kind of giving my personal details on, hey, just so you know, I appreciate that this may not, this is not, you may not want to spend your entire life at Feature Space or whatever company it is. Um, and you also may have ambitions that lie outside of the industry. You know, some people are going to want to go open up their own like organic produce, you know, subscription service or whatever it is. You know, there are people that don't live and breathe fintech. I kind of do, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but some people don't. And I think it's fine that for me to just kind of put that out there to make a safer space to say it's okay, but also to be really genuine. And so if I know that they're ready to move on. My network is their network. I will make a call. I will I will genuinely do whatever it takes because guess what? People come back around and they'll work for you again. And it may not be at this company. It may be at another company. But I really want to make sure that people feel safe enough and supported to go. If they're doing a great job for me, then I absolutely want to support them as they move on in their yeah. career. Yeah. That's uh, that just, I mean, it speaks volumes to who you are, your personality, your leadership style. The different cultures piece is interesting, and I think it's a really good reminder to always remember who is on the other side of this and the fact that they don't see things the same way as as you do, most likely, um, even if you're in the same general vicinity or same general area or same general stage of, of career. But putting it out there that not your entire career may not be at this company might be a little bit jarring for a few people. I'm curious, what kind of reaction have you seen when you shared that? And they're like, wait, what are you saying? Like, hold on. <laughs> All we talk about is how great this company is going to be for the next 10 years and whatnot, right? What kind of reactions do you see when when you share that honest level of, you know, it's highly likely you won't be here forever. That's okay. If they do, amazing, right? I mean, I'm great. I mean, I stayed at TSIS for 11, almost 11 years. And so that's a really long, you know, if you think about, you know, how many years you work, it's a huge percentage. And so there are people who are very happy to work their way up the corporate ladder in the same company. And sometimes that really pays off. You know, you do really well. Um, some people hop around. I think in European, you know, in Europe, it's far more common to stay somewhere for three to five years. You know, that is culturally what happens, um, in, at least in the industry I'm in. I think it would be naive to not appreciate that that's reality, um, but also be very supportive of people's ambition. So some people really are very happy to stay at, at their, you know, in, in their company and just work their way up or stay in their role. Some people don't want to be a leader. And those people are gold. You know, that is not something to go, oh, hmm, sorry for them. No, those people are gold. You want those people on your team just as much and you want to develop them in other ways. What is it that they want to be successful? What do they need? to feel happy and satisfied because you want those people on your team. That's right. They're the executors, right? And they're the ones who you can count on, rely on, and just are going to be the, the stable part of the team where lots of other things will be in flux. But there's a small percentage of that team that you can always count on and you know exactly who it is. And if you don't, probably a good idea to get, get some of those people. <laughs> That's Bye. right. And make sure they know they're valued because they those people are the unsung heroes. So they may not be the little showboats who are like, look at me, look what I did. There's value in both kinds. Yeah. And that I think shows the depth of what you need to do as a leader is acknowledge that not everybody's on the same track, that 
Not everybody's going to progress at the same pace that not everybody even has the same intentions with regards to their work. For some people, it is a means to an end. And for some people, it is the end in and of itself. It just depends on the individual. But by asking the questions, by getting to know them, by putting it out there that, hey, this is not a sentence for the rest of your life. Like, it's okay. Let's write the story together. And I'm here to support you. I love how you phrase that. And and the last piece of the, my network is your network. I mean, what an incredible you know, supportive thing to feel to know that your, you know, your VP in this case, like has that network available and would help and support you regardless of if, even if you were leaving the organization, like that speaks volumes. And I imagine is pretty well received on the other side. I think it is because, I mean, I, you know, I haven't had a lot of turn in my team. I've been really fortunate in that. I feel incredibly honored to get to work with the group of individuals I work with. They are some of the smartest, most talented people. So it would just feel really unkind. You know, it just, it would just feel unkind that I, I'm fortunate to have an incredible network of people. I'm just, you know, just by nature of of the opportunities I've had, and I want them to have the same. They have been so wonderful to work with. I wouldn't, it would just feel really mean to not extend that to them. Yeah. Uh, that's wonderful. That's awesome. All right. So you, you mentioned you're on your own career journey. You're at VP level today. So what does the future hold for you? I do want to be, um, you know, chief customer officer. That's um, I have a little sticky note on my uh, desk that uh, my husband then wrote on for my dog's name, which is also true now um, <laughs> because I kind of work so that they have a better life. But Um, Yeah, absolutely. I am passionate about customer success. I'm passionate about how customers, you know, how you can ensure that there's a great feedback loop into product and into the, you know, the the organization, because if you aren't serving your customers, you're not going to be successful. And I feel like customer success is the lifeblood of any organization. So I love what I do. I'm really passionate about it. And I'd, I'd love to continue to progress and be chief customer officer of, you know, of my organization or another organization. So that's certainly the tra- trajectory I'd like to, you know, aspire to. It's fantastic. You got it. You know what it is. You know why you're doing it and you're deeply passionate about it. So it is going to manifest just like the rest of your career and all the story that you told us before where you raised your hand and jumped in the ring, had the courage to be there. And that's just absolutely wonderful. So thank you for sharing. All right. So last question here, if we could go back in time, and you could sit down with your 22-year-old self about that time you were going to raise your hand for that position you were not qualified for. You know everything you know today. You could sit down with your younger self and share some advice. What advice would you share? So I think the advice would be to build my network earlier. I didn't reach outside my organization until much later in my career. So I kind of thought, oh, no, everything I need is within the walls of my organization. And, and also, I don't have time to network, right? I'm busy. I'm busy building a life and, and you know, having my career. And I don't have time to, to go to the industry event or go to the drinks. And I also definitely don't have time to have like, you know, catch up calls with like women in the industry to help them. No, I was very focused on myself. And what I realized is that was such a mistake. And I wish I had done it earlier to um, really forge these incredible relationships that I have where when I am, you know, thinking about, you know, any career decision, I go to my, you know, like really my network of advisors, you know, my close network of advisors, I'm going on vacation with them in May and like some are in Canada, some are, you know, they're scattered all over and we're all coming together. Um, 
but it is that close of a relationship where I trust them implicitly to, and they, my network, their network is also my network. So if I say, does anyone know of, you know, of, of someone who's doing X in the industry that could give me some advice on, um, you know, like what I'm trying to do with my customers or whatever to, to share a best practice with me. And instantly I've got someone in some obscure FinTech who's doing this cool thing. It's amazing. And I wish I had done that sooner and that that would be the best advice I could give anyone. Love it. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. The, the time to build a network is not when you need one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, it's one of the hard parts about the balancing. Well, I have all this stuff to do and all this work to do. And I'm constantly just inundated with this environment inside these walls, you know, whether physical or virtual. And when do I find this other time? So how do you find time or how much time do you partition now to dedicate to the network and the relationship side of things as opposed to, you know, what you had done before it, you just told us, what did not get at the top of the priority list? So um, I have time blocked out every Friday for mentoring and, and it may be mentoring for me. So it may be me making time to meet with, um, you know, someone in the, in my, in the industry who is going to kind of have a talk to me and maybe, you know, I can talk about a challenge I'm, I'm facing um, or crossroads I'm at and maybe get some of their wisdom or mentoring other women in the industry. So every Friday I block out two hours and I may not use them every Friday, but I block out two hours that is just for that type of intentional networking, um, intentional mentorship and sponsorship. Cause you know, it may be women in my organization that I'm sponsoring and making sure that I'm being a bit of a cheerleader to say, look, you know, like there is, there is something to think about here. Or, you know, I, I really want to be the type of leader that I wish I'd had, you know, when I was 23. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And even if the time doesn't get used, it is, it is on your calendar. It is marked. It is consciously and subconsciously on your mind that this is an important piece. It deserves my time and I'm going to dedicate it to it. And I absolutely love that you have that set up. Wonderful. All right, Nicole. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. You have such an inspiring story, such incredible um, enthusiasm and passion for your work and for your team and for leadership as a whole. So thank you so much for sharing your stories, your expertise, and your wisdom with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. Take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.